Welcome to Monster Theatre, the podcast, a place where we retell stories from history and mythology that embody the way of the monster, weird on the outside, but with a noble heart. Hooray! All right! You did it! You did it! You listened! Thank you! (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to Who Killed Gertrude Crump? The radio adaptation. I'm Ryan Gladstone. I uh, I wrote the story that you just heard and, and directed the stage version. And I'm Tara Travis. That was my voice you just heard a whole lot of. And I performed in the stage version as well. Yeah, you were the only one to perform in the stage version. I, I was I was the one. Oh, and I also edited this thing. Yeah, that was, which turned out to be almost as big of a job as performing <laughs> a solo puppet show. Yeah, I think bigger. But the learning curve was was higher. I had never done this level of editing before. Yeah, that's true. You had uh, mm-hmm. wiggled puppets before. I had one or two. Before we continue, I, I, I think we need to say, uh, spoiler alert, if you have not, if we cheered you undeservingly uh, and you have not actually listened to episodes one through four of Who Killed Gertrude Crump, please go rewind, listen to them because we are going to tell you uh secrets that only listeners of the complete show will know like we're immediately getting into the like who yeah. did it how did yeah. we come to that you don't want to you don't want to go in knowing that it was the little girl it was the little girl that whoa <laughs> you just came right out <laughs> well they already no. listen they know that they should i know they should i know, know. But but what if what if they hadn't turned it off quite yet now it's now it's not a murder mystery it's a murder knowing Oh well, that's their fault. That's their fault. Why why would you listen to episode five when clearly yeah, I mean we we've been very clear. Okay. Yeah. Onward. Onward, upward. Yeah. So this is basically we're gonna do like a bonus episode where we uh get into some of the backstory of how uh Who Killed Gertrude Crump was created, uh what led to the creation, and as we are a theater company that is making this podcast, we're gonna talk a little bit about the stage version, which in this uh, specific case for this specific show is a pretty great story. It, it we it went on some twists and turns itself just in the the creation of the play before before it came to your ears. Oh, so many stories! It's fraught. It is fraught. Yes, <laughs> I'll start because because uh, the idea for the show uh, originated from uh, we like our theater company. We do a lot of history based stuff, and I was interested in Agatha Christie. Because I had heard somewhere about this story where she uh, disappeared and was supposed kidnapped at one point in her life. They found her car crashed on the side of a road and she was missing for two whole weeks. And all the newspapers, of course, had a heyday that's like the mystery writer herself is embroiled in this mystery and what happened to her and whatnot. And, um, and then one day at the end of it, she just sort of... Uh, came home and uh, I, I think maybe no one really knows what happened, but it seems like maybe she had a little bit of a, a breakdown. Um, her husband was was uh, being unfaithful at the time, and I think she uh, went through a little crisis. Um, but what I was inspired by was not necessarily the true story of it, but I was inspired by the idea of a of a detective or specifically a mystery writer becoming embroiled in a mystery. And so I started uh, reading Agatha Christie books and started doing my research about her life, more specifically her stories. 
her plays, uh, her novels. Yeah, I, I kind of veered into this idea of how how would someone, how could you be kidnapped and not know who kidnapped you uh, and have to solve that, you know? And that kind of stymied me for a little bit. I couldn't solve that one. But then I thought, well, what if it's not Agatha Christie? What if we, what if it's, you know, separate from the true story of it? And what if it's actually a famous mystery writer who is murdered and her ghost, his or her ghost, has to solve the mystery? And and that was the basic idea that I started to write the, the play with. And uh, as you know, because you have listened to it now... Uh, it veered from there as well, so that the ghost only really plays a very minor role in the story. But yeah, so that was kind of the beginning of of the whole idea, was this idea of a, of a mystery writer trying to solve their own mystery. And basically, I, I was trying to write this whole crazy thing and you know all the twists and turns and make it similar to Agatha Christie's stories. Uh, and at some point, I think this is after I Tara had come on board. But at some point, I kind of just realized, you know what? She herself is so great. She's such a great writer. She has done a chunk of the work for me. Or I decided to borrow, I won't say steal, but borrow the uh, characters, the plot twists, uh, the twists and turns, the surprise endings, all that stuff from all of her writings and kind of mash them up into um, something new. So that's uh, all the characters in the play and the radio play are based on our our names from Agatha Christie books or plays. Uh, Monkswell Manor, of course, is from The Mousetrap. Now, I've done all the research and I've since forgotten where all of it came from. So if there are big Agatha Christie fans out there, I'm sure you can you probably recognized <laughs> more of the origins of of the references than I do now, which is kind of funny. Slash they're a little bit horrified right now. Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah. How, how could you say <laughs> that about our, our hero? I mean, that idea, the idea of bringing Agatha in came quite a bit later as well. I, I also remember spending a lot of time inventing that name, Gertrude Crump. Mm. Do you remember this, Tara? We had lists of like a yes, hundred old woman first names. And then we had less. We had like 20, <laughs> I don't know, mystery sounding last names. And yeah. we would try them in different combinations. Cordelia Matheson. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> F- funnily, the, like we, I wrote this right in between when my two kids were born. So I'd spent a lot of time inventing names and testing them out, you know, in that process as well. Gertrude had already been thrown off the list. So you're like, I got to use it somewhere. Well, that's a juicy origin story that you have shared with us all. I'd forgotten details, too. Um, but yeah, so it came time to make a play. It was time to actually make this show once you had this idea and it had gelled. Yeah. Um, I don't know who who's listening and who you are, but we love you and thank you for listening. Whether you come from the podcasting world or whether you are familiar with theater and perhaps you're already monster theater fans and thank you. We're going to talk a little bit about our play creation process mm-hmm. here. And uh, we'll break it down a little bit for you. And this one, yeah, in particular has some fun treats. So we had already registered for a whole bunch of festivals. We were in a bunch of festivals. We had this deadline looming. The deadline looming, time. which is how we operate, right? It's like This is how we yeah. operate. Well, just, I mean, how, yeah, we got a title. How else do you make something wild and creative? We got yeah. a title, we make a, you know, a poster image. 
<laughs> yeah. Usually oh, yeah. we need a description for the show. Yeah. You know, and then and then the show. And then you've got time to think yeah. about it because the application process happens way before creation. Uh, and then all of a sudden, yeah, timeline's breathing down your neck and you're like, okay, let's make this. <laughs> you know, one, one of the moments I remember very vividly about or how this got formed uh, from the concept and the story into what it became was the idea that it was going to be a one woman show. Yes. Because we, we had, Tara and I had created a play uh, that maybe will be a future season of the our podcast. Um, mm-hmm. About the six wives of Henry VIII called Till Death, the six wives of Henry VIII, uh, which is a one woman show. Tara plays them all in the afterlife competing against each other. Um, it's a it's a very fun show. Anne Boleyn is just a head. Uh, I don't know how that would translate onto a radio show, but uh, I know yeah, a problem. It's a challenge. For um, so we decided to do a one person show and I, I was so I was working on this mystery idea and I was thinking of this. Which was, years ago, I was in an Agatha Christie play. I was in The Mousetrap. I played Giles Ralston. In The Mousetrap, you know, it, there's a whole bunch of people and they're stranded in a, in like a lodge or, or something like that. They got snowed in. Uh, and one of them is a murderer. And over the rehearsal, or the, the run of the play, I got my first uh, set of contact lenses. And so, and so I was doing that. We rehearsed the whole play. I don't wear my glasses in the play. You know, I don't have that bad vision, but not great. And, you know, we opened the show and the show's running and it's fine. And then, um, yeah, halfway through, I got my first set of contact lenses and I was like, oh my God, I can't believe how much I was missing. Like how much of this play, (laughs) all, there's so many significant looks I was getting from people and. I must have just mm. looked so vacant. Uh, I'd like, <laughs> I didn't know all this was happening. Aww. So anyways, in the process of writing this play, I just was imagining how to create that with one performer. And how can you have a significant look with, with, yeah. your, with yourself, I guess, was my dilemma. And Tara is a long time uh, fantastic puppeteer. And so we were touring a kid show and I was like, guess what? I've got a great idea. Uh, we'll do it as a puppet show. And I, I just remember Tara's face like dropping. <laughs> and, I, and the color drained. The color drained. And I, I didn't understand. I thought she would be super excited because this is something she loves. But um, she sensed even then how incredibly difficult that task would be to create, build, rehearse with, to animate 10 characters. Sans, sans budget, right? With, uh, you know, with a hefty sum, I could, you know, hire a team and it would just be aces. Yes. But um, just kind of knowing the uh, amount of <laughs> time, uh, time l- as well, time, yeah. labor and yeah. uh, the uh, <laughs> just the, the experimentation, right? Like yeah. puppets are a vague science, mm. right? And uh, we kind of had to go straight to production like straight to yeah. straight to the sales floor as it were there was no time for a prototype so um there was learning there was learning <laughs> <laughs> but also it there may have been some crying it was yeah, it was also it was kind intense. of a new kind of puppeting though right that i mean mm-hmm. not that we you know invented a new style of puppetry or anything but 
But kind of. We because kind of did, though. Th- that's not really a thing that people do, right? Like, to operate ten puppets at once, you had to invent the mechanism of how the puppets work, how to move from one to another. The whole script was written with that in mind. That It became... It became fundamental, which is why I think like having listened to the to the radio play version, it this this process uh, informed that product mm-hmm. immensely. Yeah, absolutely. How do we suggest meaningful glances, you know, yeah. where there's no time to touch that puppet? You know, <laughs> what, what noise do yeah. we make? Oh, yeah. How do we how do we create that tension? They need resting, um, meaningful glance face. Yeah. <laughs> Just bobblehead staring off into the sunset. So, but, um, but Tara said yes. Yeah. And we, and we did, did it. She uh, maybe regrets it still to this day. You know, I, there is, there is a triumph at the end yes. of this, you know, yes. um, <laughs> the regret has um, reduced yeah. in size considerably. At the part we are in the story, triumph was a long yes. ways away. <laughs> triumph uh, was far off in the distance. So we rehearsed the play in Tara's living room. We built, uh, we got like a kitchen table uh, and we mm-hmm. taped magnetic bu- bulletin bullets and boards. magnetic bulletin boards to it we just figured you know oh gosh they've they've got to have some kind of security on whatever surface because if i'm reaching around and grabbing at them really quickly to make them talk they've got to be secure and they've got to stay where i put them as i place them so i decided to make like a magnetically uh, responsive puppet and there were they were anywhere from a, a foot to about a foot tall each maybe something like that they had magnets on their feet i had to put handles on their back so i could just grab them and move them around really quickly um they had to have heads that could move and and move without my hand obviously grabbing their head because it would just end up looking like this wrestling match between a puppeteer and a puppet so i stuck these little tubes in the back of their neck so i could just sort of pop my thumb in there and then articulate their heads that way so um yeah, it was it was an interesting challenge yeah. finding the right shape and the right the right science to get what I needed out of them to give them life and not have yeah. them look like standing corpses when they weren't being. Yeah, alive. that was such a big part of it. Right. Because because right? in all the group scenes, anyways, there's there's like eight just standing there watching the action, yeah. doing their best to give meaningful glances. That gave me nightmares as a puppeteer. You never leave a puppet. I, yeah unattended unanimated never right it was just finding the right framework like agatha christie does a puppet show it's agatha you know not quite knowing what she's doing (laughs) i felt like that was the permission slip i needed and then also us very carefully mapping out where their heads were turned so they were actively looking at the speakers or the action anytime they were left unattended but it was so much to manage my brain was so tired. So there we are in the living room. If you imagine there's 10 puppets in a line and there's Tara operating them and the one second to the left speaks and the one second to the right is the next one to speak and the next one who speaks is the one furthest to the right. So that she's got her <laughs> left hand on this puppet and her right hand on this puppet. So we had to add a line for this one to talk and then that one and you know like the whole thing was yeah. actually choreographing the only real amount of rehearsal that we did in that version <laughs> was choreographing where Tara's hands went. Yeah. 
That was literally... It was left hand, right hand, yeah, left hand, right, right hand. hand. While this guy talks, I'm I'm yeah. already half thinking ahead to who speaks yeah. next. So my hand is in the right place when it goes. Because it's rapid fire. There's no time yeah. to stop and think. Yeah. I've got to be preset for the next character yeah. to speak. So I was, yeah, always half in the next moment while trying to give, you know, an earnest performance with the puppet I'm about to leave for the next puppet. Yeah. And and if anything, I would say the puppet show went faster than the radio play. The radio play, like there was more time to slow down. and It's true. And and with the visuals to yeah. to keep you on track, yeah. I, I intentionally left a little more space mm-hmm. in the radio play. Yeah. Um, partly because, yeah, tracking all the characters and as much as I'd love to think I'm just the most brilliant voice actor ever. <laughs> some, some of the voices sound kind of similar, right? So uh, just giving a bit of space yeah. and, and using the magic of stereo, I, you know, place them in different parts of the room. And um, it just takes, just without the visual cues, it just takes a little bit longer sometimes to put things together. And also the play version, especially the original version, we were trying to squeeze it into a 60 minute. yeah window so i think i got hardwired to just do it as quickly as possible Mm. um so we wouldn't be thrown off the stage and now Uh, i had time to like let it breathe let it breathe let those meaningful glances breathe let those meaningful glances (laughs) that no one will ever see and it's at this point that things start to go wrong Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) we had hired a friend of ours to to build uh and we dreamed big Way too big for the budget oh, and time yeah. that we had. We wanted to build like a giant dollhouse where each of the rooms was big enough to fit these 14-inch uh, puppets in them <laughs> and, um, and have multiple puppets in them and have separate lighting within each of the rooms, you know, so we could just boom move from one room to another in the house. That was way too complex. Mm-hmm. Our, our designer was like, yeah, we can do that. But then it was like, well, maybe that's too much, actually, now that I've started so we changed it to like this idea of three different rooms that would be sh- shifted while the action was happening in, in one of the other rooms. And then we were like, oh, or our designer was like, oh, maybe that's a little bit too complex. So it became one room, but with we could change the walls out. And then it had like it was all, all on these tables with metal on the bottom. So the magnetic feet worked. And then walls that went out, I don't know, eight feet on either side. Sure. You know, so it was a pretty good structure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and yeah, they significant. And they close and open, right, to reveal the, the scene and stuff. But we were told that it would be ready, you know, before rehearsal start. And then, well, maybe halfway through rehearsal. Well, three days left in rehearsals. One day. <laughs> okay. Well, turns out we picked it up the morning we drove out of town to Ottawa, from Vancouver to Ottawa. Yeah. For our first festival. It was like wet with paint mm-hmm. unfinished mm-hmm. they gave us like a bag of of more of it materials like, like plastic foliage yeah. and this and that and saying yeah here i hope you have a staple gun yeah <laughs> add this please <laughs> like oh God. Uh, the furniture that goes in the rooms like the beds and stuff <laughs> they just didn't make even though they said yep. they were none of it all of not only was it <laughs> this crazy stressful process of the, rehearsing the play and Tara memorizing it and mastering the puppets, rebuilding the puppets because the heads kept falling off and all this stuff. But oh, oh, now yeah. we've got to finish this set. Prototype, yeah. prototype. <laughs> so really, that yeah. was, that was the big, the so, big difficulty that we had. 
Yeah. Um, or the biggest, yeah. I should say. Yeah, that was yeah. that was a big hit to take because any time I would have been spending sort of reinforcing all of the mm-hmm. lines and the actions and stuff with my private study, we were, well, first of all, we had four days to drive yeah. from Vancouver to Ottawa. We were driving like 16-hour days and then also stopping in thrift stores and this and that, trying to buy random things that I could turn into miniature yeah. Of furniture because I I needed those things before we opened so I was just like glue gunning and and ripping things apart and uh, you know <laughs> making theater magic as theater magic yes. uh, and Tara's can just like sometimes. I should have said no I wanted to say no I should yeah I'm like oh said no. when they talk about listen to your instinct like when you find this is what they're talking about this is what they're talking about this is what they're talking about <laughs> <laughs> like no no it'll be fine it'll be fine like <laughs> we'll do it it's gonna be great it's gonna be great <laughs> all scary things are worth doing yeah this one this one yeah it was a challenge it was uh but there's triumph in the future indeed there's indeed triumph to come so i i didn't actually i wasn't supposed to go because i was just the writer director that's all just the writer director looking into tara's eyes as she drove away <laughs> i was like I bought a plane ticket to Ottawa and I flew out and met them there. And yeah, we were building. I mean, I mean, like here, here's one story. So at our tech rehearsal, we set up the set for the first time. Mm-hmm. It's never been done nope. before. We realized a few things. One, it can't open and close mm-hmm. as it was supposed mm-hmm. to, even though it's sort of built that way. But there's no way there's no way to attach the back part. So that if somebody lifted this, the whole thing is going to come down. Well, it might have killed me right there. That might have been a relief. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that would have been pretty spectacular. It would have been something else. Uh, Anywho. But then there was another one, which was we had the one thing we really did spend money on was we spent $500, I think, to build a puppet of Agatha Christie. Oh, it was beautiful. Who hosts the show from the afterlife. Uh, she's a, a full body but Muppet style puppet about about Muppet size. And we had a miniature rocking mm-hmm. chair for her. And uh, in the original incarnation of the show, I was just all hiding behind a black veil. I was the invisible puppeteer. And so when yeah. I was doing the tabletop puppets, I was merely a shadow behind them. And whenever Agatha came in to do her narration, she would um, she would appear from underneath the stage on her little rocking yeah. chair in her little spotlight. This gorgeous recreation of, of Agatha Christie. Yeah. The amazing Dusty Hagerud did her justice and more gorgeous mm-hmm. puppet. And so at the tech rehearsal, we the idea is that Tara crawls from under the set and has a hand through the rocking chair and operates the puppet. And we're like, there's no room under the set. There's nowhere that she she can fit. There's no accommodation no. for that. Because <laughs> we never tried That's it. That's significant, significant part of the show. And so, yeah. yeah, like the whole concept, the whole concept of the show <laughs> And so we're like, well, well, uh, let's cut it. So we we cut we yep. found a great home for that puppet later on in our production of the Little Prince. We did indeed. After the tech, what we did is we went. I I think I can't remember if you were with me at that point, but um, to like a costume shop in Ottawa. Oh, and, I think you went running yeah, out. Yeah, I bought a Queen Elizabeth II wig, <laughs> and I was just like, okay, Tara, you're Agatha Christie now. It's Agatha Christie doing the puppet show. You can stop and talk to the audience. Like, you have a whole new character. You have to do all that part in an accent. Yeah. Uh, et cetera, you know, like all of this on top of everything else. I mean, there was just so Openings much. in five hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah no doubt. 
I was probably still cutting yeah. lines and stuff as well, you know. Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah. Opening night went not according to plan. Oh golly! Uh, and how the the uh, in my humble opinion, Tara, I was in the booth. <laughs> Uh, begging our technicians to not bring the lights down because we had gone so far over time. I was just like, please, it's almost done. Please. I was please. begging. I was begging in my mind, like just End someone it. do something, <laughs> pull the fire alarm, anything, get me out of this. The, the biggest thing though was, again, we had never rehearsed with the set. Tara is a tall woman. I'm not tiny. The entire time she is operating these puppets at the table. And we had been rehearsing with us with her, the kitchen table in our house. And this set was about a foot lower than that. So if you imagine for one hour, leaning over and operating puppets and acting and, and doing all the things. And so halfway through the show, Tara's got back spasms in like blinding pain. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. It was about 20 minutes in. Sorry, 20 minutes in. So so uh, a quarter of the way. No, just kidding. <laughs> yeah, let's say. Um. Oh, but yeah, like full on, full on in pain trying to do one of the heads fell off yeah. and rolled off the stage, yeah. Yeah. which Tara actually dealt with very well. I thought, did I? Oh, God, it's such a blur. You know, like I, I think I I saw my relatives on the other side just being like, just come. It's OK. Just into the light. Uh, <laughs> Take the easy way out. It's Agatha herself. You can eat all the cake you want here. Just come on. Come on. Anyway, long story short, nightmare opening. Yeah. Uh, like I, I've been known to refer to it as the greatest embarrassment of my career yeah. that night, for sure. I, I was losing my spot. I was, I had endowed our stage manager with um, the title of St. Peter, just talking about, oh, yes, I'm in the afterlife. Ha ha. Where was I in my story? Oh, just, you know, <laughs> trying to justify asking for line constantly. Yeah. And oh, man. It was a mess. Oh, yeah. And I was trying to switch out furniture that I just built and I couldn't remember whose bed was what. And and that could you imagine if that's what someone like complained about? <laughs> it's like that bed was in Midge's room in the last scene. What? <laughs> they were so confused. I will not stand for like... this. <laughs> Whose bed is that? <laughs> now we did we did have a savior with us who I think we should um throw some props to. John Patterson. John Patterson. John Patterson. Uh, was the stage manager and he you know he's I feel like he's played this role for Monster Theater a couple times of cheerleader and yes. like what do you need? What do we need to be done? Yes. How do we take care of the people and you know that like kind of Uber thing. support, yeah. problem solver. Yeah. What when he's do Okay, great. Great. Let's do it. Let's do yeah. it. Yeah, you bet. He's a lighting designer uh, among other things, but what one of the things to that epitomizes John is that you're doing a show. It's a smash hit. It's you're getting five stars left, right and center. And he will be like, "You know, in scene 4, I've got an idea to change the fade time." Yeah. Uh, or what? Do you know what I mean? Like he'll. Yeah. Like he's always trying, which is very much, I think, the monster uh, philosophy, Absolutely. right? That we're always. Yes, and, and, and. Yeah. Like just always seeing the potential and yeah. places for refinement yeah. and innovation, always, yeah. which is so amazing. He he definitely kept me alive the summer that we first toured this show because I, you know, he, he would raise things like that. Yeah. Like, oh, I think I, I'll i raise the level here and I'll add this light here and oh, it'll be so great. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. What's the <laughs> point? Sure. Go for it. You know? Yeah. I was being all cranky about it, but um, he was just quietly making the show better and better yeah. and better. 
um, which I think helped me lean into it all the more as well. So yeah, and bless John, bless John Patterson. Patterson, and partly thanks to John Patterson, and of course uh, Tara's heroics over the course of the summer. We was it five cities, five cities, yeah, five cities that summer, and the show went very well. In spite <laughs> of this disastrous opening. The show ended up going really well after our disastrous opening. Yeah, it slowly got better and better and got great reviews in Toronto. Like in Toronto. Yeah, already, yeah. in the second city. The next city, yeah. yeah. It was impressive. But yeah, so the summer went well and, and you know, we weren't in a huge rush to, to continue that show. Obviously, it's a, it was a huge set, even though it was, it was kind of cruddy. But what we did do was write a grant to rebuild it because we both, Tara and I, really felt like that version of the play never it never really had a fair chance that the idea the performance the concept uh were worthy of another shot and so indeed yeah and, yeah and, it, it didn't get its moment in the sun right. really yeah. you know yeah no triumph you might say no no triumph and so we got a generous grant from the bc arts council um here in british columbia so we and we got a residency artistic residency at the Culch, the East Van Cultural Center here in Vancouver. Woo-hoo. And we hired puppet builder Dusty Hegerud to rebuild our set, to rebuild the puppets using Tara's design, just to really do, basically make the version that we wanted to make in the first place. Speaking of heroes in the arts, Dusty Hagerud, round of applause. Color Sound Lab, folks. Please look him up. His puppets are brilliant. Absolutely. And so... How many years? Four years later. Four years. We finally had the opportunity to make the version that was always meant to be. Triumph. The stage version. (laughs) Triumph. Indeed. Indeed. And we walked away with four Jesse Richardson Theater Award nominations, which was amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For, for such was... a small company. Yeah. We, no, we were, it went very well. It felt good. It felt good. And we were <laughs> able to add things even undreamed of in the first place. Like, for example, the set actually opened and closed. Uh, so it opens as as a, uh, a giant bookshelf and there's like a photo in a frame or it looks like a photo of a boat hmm. and Agatha like takes it. And, ro- and it becomes a puppet. It comes out of the frame and she rows it off. And then it comes back on and it's like a live action Canon Penny Father in the boat. What, once the, the walls are opened, there are two window frames that had overhead projectors behind them. So we were able to do all of the memory sequences and all the flashbacks. A bunch of stuff with the guest book in these... Uh, shadow shadow puppetry sequences that were really great. We were able to have the scene at the end with Midge and Mary on, on top of the roof. We were able to do way mm-hmm. up there. After the seance, the word writer mm-hmm. appears in the wall. We had a life-size close-up of Gertrude the puppet yes. for the murder scene. Yes. Like a big mask. Like big mask that matched yeah. the puppet. We actually had three people backstage operating the shadow puppets and handing Terra puppets and um, yeah. all that kind of stuff, which was great. Oh, it was like a day at the spa compared to the first version of the show. <laughs> it was so great. The amazing uh, Susan Walsh came all the way from Orlando, Florida mm-hmm. to come and help out. Bless her heart. She, she was a huge savior. Yeah. The great James Melcher. Uh, a buddy of mine who's largely a visual artist and who was willing to come along and play with some puppets. And, and that was so great. Yeah. Um, there's this guy, I don't know if you've heard of him, Ryan Gladstone. Oh my God, that's me. <laughs> um, oh yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, he was okay. Um, is that funny that I'm uh, like, we should we should give props to the people backstage. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think it's great. <laughs> uh, I was I yeah, I forgot it was. But yeah, I'm trying to think of other bells and whistles that we had on that second set. Oh, we had a whole top-down hallway Ooh, scene yes. where yes. you could see the sort of top-down uh, like topography, all these little doorways, and then you would see the tops of their heads coming along. Um, yeah. And you would you would see them having little conversations and you would see who was going into which room and and their their relationship to each other. Yeah. Uh, and it was Ryan and I doing this sort of magnetically responsive puppetry uh, behind this yeah. thing. It's it's hard to, to describe, it is, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. We're just like wiggling these magnets going. Ew, ew, ew. Yeah. <laughs> well, you did all the voices, but I would. Operate I'm still doing them, all so the voices live. You had to time and how so, your 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 know, <laughs> Oh, you startled me. And I'm like watching you wiggle the wiggle yeah. the magnet just in rhythm with the performance. <laughs> and, and they were just like um, half tennis balls with hair yeah. and stuff on. But if they got caught on something, oh, man. they would boom, fall off. But it never happened during the Amazingly. I cannot believe it did. Because they were just held on by a magnet. Like that was we all they were. We pulled it off every yeah. night. Uh, yeah. yeah. That, that was kind that of That was theater magic show, yeah. for sure. Absolutely. That was really cool. Um, and Keegan Elric did our, our lighting yes, design, yes, which was yes, really yes. over the top but compared to our original. Now, this isn't to say that the stage version is better than the radio version. No, not at all. Because at I, all. I think the radio version is really special. And I think it's it's telling how we came up with the idea of making the radio version. Totally. So as we've said, Dusty Hagerud, who built the original Agatha puppet that got cut, <laughs> and also all the the whole new set and all the puppets in the new mm-hmm. version. We were hanging out one day and he was saying that sometimes when he's working, he just puts on... The archival video from, from the play. Yeah, and listens to it as if it were a radio play. And he's like, it's great. It doesn't matter. You don't have to see it at all. Like, it all it all works great. And Tara and I were just like, huh, that's pretty interesting. Huh. And so I just think it's neat that like the guy who built the visual aspects of the show <laughs> is the one that was like, dudes. It's like, oh, you, don't, you don't need any of this business. Yeah. <laughs> what are you paying me for? <laughs> um, and then there was a um, worldwide mm. pandemic. and Oh, that old thing. Yeah. So we, yeah, we, we were we were scheduled to perform the second run of, of the stage play. It was supposed to be done in Victoria in May, mm-hmm. which didn't happen. But then we, with a different show, we were scheduled to be in the Toronto Fringe Festival in the summer of 2020. And, of course, they had to cancel because of COVID. Mm -hmm. But they decided to do a digital festival as well. So they put a call out. And they were like, if you have digital content, could be a video, could be a web series, could be whatever, could be audio. And I thought, hey, maybe here's our opportunity. So I pitch it to Tara and she thinks we were on the phone, I think. So I couldn't see if her face <laughs> dropped or not. <laughs> but if she knew how much work the editing would be, she probably would have said no. I mean, I knew it was going to be a lot, For sure. but I For sure. I hadn't quite thought it through, let's be yeah. honest. But anywho, I was excited to take it yeah, on. Yeah, you, you were absolutely. Yeah. So we did. We recorded it. We started the editing process. I, I changed the script, adapted the script. And then not long before it goes live on the Toronto Fringe site, they send an email that says, don't forget, uh, maximum 30 minutes. <laughs> and we're just like, oh, my God. Oh, great. And it was in it was in an earlier email. I just missed it, of course. Eh, there's so much paperwork. Yeah. Like you can't <laughs> rewrite this mystery to be. 30 minutes. Like it's 30 bonkers. minutes? There's no way. So we decide, what if we do 
episode one. And then we'll release the rest of them on the website or something. So we approach our friend John Shewitt. He's on the Monster Theater board. He's he's built our three video games that we have. He's awesome. He's awesome. And he was like, yeah, or yeah, we can put it on the website and maybe just make a podcast or something. And so we look into it. <laughs> and literally after about four days of emails between me and John and Tara, yeah. we have a podcast. Uh, and that's yeah. basically the story of where the podcast came from. And why the radio play version of Who Killed Gertrude Crump is season one. Yoo-hoo! Yoo! Triumph! Triumph! <laughs> <laughs> and really, that's it. That's, that's, here we are today. Here we are today. You, uh, you heard it here, folks. Yeah. Not only the story of the uh, Gertrude Crump radio play. Genesis. But it's also the origin story yes. of Monster Theater, the podcast. Yeah. We've only just begun. If you listen to this whole thing, please uh, like, subscribe, comment. Let us know what you'd like to see in future seasons. Mm-hmm. We Season two is underway. It's going to be an adaptation of a solo show that I did called Every Story Ever Told. It'll be coming in the fall sometime. It's going to be super great. Uh, beyond that, give us some suggestions, folks. We'll we'll keep making them. Yeah. We'll keep adapting plays or coming up with new concepts and... Um, Bring them to your listening ears. Right on. Well, this has been a hoot, Ryan. It's been a hoot, Tara. (laughs) Thanks for listening, everyone. Thank you for listening. We'll see you soon, or you'll hear us soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks again so much for listening to this, our very first season of Monster Theater, the podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe, like, tell your friends, tell a whole bunch. Check us out at monstertheater.com, see what's shaken, and uh, hopefully you'll hear from us soon. Take care.